First John 4. All right. Going to need some participation from the folks today. Tend to ask these questions about, you know, what are some bad takes on X, Y, or Z? And that's been doing pretty well because if I ask you for positive things, you're not real quick on the draw there. <laughs> so what are some bad takes on who the Holy Spirit is? Or maybe a bad take on one thing about the Holy Spirit. There's a, maybe emotion. Heard somebody over there? Genie. I.E.? Wait, no. Uh, I, I don't know how to spell that. It's a transliteration from Arabic anyway, so. N-I-E. Not Jenny. <laughs> All right, there we go. You know, in Spanish, I dream of Jeannie. Is, she's Jenny. It's really funny. We were just watching that. All right. Emotion, Jeannie, what else? What do you got? That's the only thing that people get wrong about the Holy Spirit. Not a person. Not a person. And maybe we would say always exhibits, um, like in miraculous ways. Maybe a better way. There's a, an element of he's not as powerful as the other two persons. Lesser God. I feel bad just writing this. It's awful. <laughs> it. She. <laughs> Yeah, that's the shack, from the shack, yeah, yeah, all right. May the force be with you, so a force. It's back into here with a force. You know, uh, you laugh about that, but I've been in churches where there is no trinity, and the spirit is just a force, not a person of God, okay? What? Bird? From like the, the dove? I gotta go deeper on this. <laughs> so, like, like people set it up kind of like an idol, or uh, they don't. Okay, you know how like um, or like it's the Bible says that He's a spirit and He's within all of us. Mm-hmm. Uh, they think He was just a dove that one time when Jesus came, and that He's only ever gonna be a dove. So at the at the baptism yeah. of Jesus, when He lighted on Him as a as a dove, so it's a bird, it's a plane, it's the Holy Spirit. Okay, promotes Himself. Promotes and very good one. Yeah, I didn't have to correct anybody today. That's good. <laughs> so there's all these weird ideas about who the Holy Spirit is. So it's really important that we know who the Holy Spirit is. So I'm going to start out reading in First John three. Last verse: Those who obey His commands live in Him, and He in them. And this is how we know that He lives in us. In we know it by the Spirit He gave us. Okay, but we've got we to gotta put some flesh on that a little bit, right? We'll talk about that in just a second. Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. So here's a New Testament command. You must test the spirits, you can't just take things as they are. You've got to discern. All right, how do you do that? 
Well, first, who's got um, Luke 4? Luke 4, 12, it says, And Jesus answered him, He said, You should not put the Lord your God to the test. Okay, so it's telling us to test the spirits, but we're not supposed to test the Lord. Anybody want to tell me the difference between testing, the, putting God to the test, and then testing a spirit? What's testing the Lord? Why is that a bad thing? That, that was about a habit, right? That's when Satan told him to throw himself off the pinnacle, that he would charge his angels so he wouldn't stub his toe. So it's, it's testing God that he's going to take care of you or be faithful to his word. Whereas testing the spirit is checking to see if it's really God or if it's some other false spirit. So there's two different things. There's one putting God's character to the test, and there's another one testing to see if it is God or not. Bang. There it is. Excellent. Now that we've got that resolved, who's got Mr. Pettit? First Thessalonians 5. Chapter 5, verses 19 through 22. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. So we can get into this. There is a type of testing that we must always do with the spirits, but you can't do it in such a way that you're on automatic, like, nope, that's not real. We have to actually discern before we make a decision, right? Uh, very, very important. Who's got Galatians 5.22? Through 24. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. One way that we can test the Spirit is, is that true of that person who's you know, talking about the Spirit? Is that true of your life, that the Spirit is working in your life? If there's something that is in question about, did this come from the Spirit or not? Is it to exhibit these fruit? There's a really big one right there. All right, who's got John 16, 13 through 14? And when the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all the truth. And He will not speak on His own authority. Whatever He hears, He will speak. He will speak, and He will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, and he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Right, so we need to also understand the character of the Holy Spirit. We see the fruit, the evidence of the Holy Spirit in Galatians. But who does Jesus say the Holy Spirit is? He's the one who's going to tell you the things that, frankly, Jesus said. And that's what he's going to reveal to you. Uh, what's interesting is he's not really working on his own. I think somebody put on here promotes himself. Uh, that's not part of his character. He's actually lifting God up. He's lifting the Father up. He's lifting his Son up. And he's repeating the things that they say. Who's got John 17? You got Matthew? Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. So he's saying that this is the spirit of truth. That's his character. The Holy Spirit is going to uh, be strongly correlated with the truth, right? And then we read in the same passage over here that his word is truth. And so I'm going to say that the Spirit is also going to be telling us the word, reminding us of the word of God. Who's got John, John 14, 26? But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, 
He shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. Yeah, so he's going to remind you of what Jesus said right there. He's got John fifteen twenty six. But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. Sure sounds like the Holy Spirit is all about Jesus, you know. <laughs> really interesting, right? Um, you know, contrast that with some of the cultural ideas of who the Holy Spirit is. I have a couple other ones I'm not going to read them. 1 Corinthians 12 shows us that the Holy Spirit edifies the church by uh, giving gifts that are specifically for building us up. He also convicts the world of sin and righteousness and judgment in John 16, 8. So he's doing that work. But I want to tell you something. The Spirit is not independent of the Father and the Son. He's not some improved version of a mean, lesser God in the Old Testament. He is the God who created the heavens and the earth. And he glorifies Jesus. He is Christocentric, right? He is centered on Christ. And if you're listening to a spirit that's always talking about you, and what good can come to you, and how life is all about you and the world of that's not the Holy Spirit. The Spirit is going to tell you what? He's going to talk to you about Jesus over and over and over and over again, reminding you of what he said. A real great way to test if it's the Spirit, is he talking about Jesus? Pretty, pretty easy. Now, right in that uh, first verse, he says, we've got to test every spirit because false prophets have gone out into the world. Okay, well, men, who's got Second Peter 2 to read? The false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their sensuality, because of them, the way of truth will be blasphemed, and in their greed they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. There's a couple of things there, right? They got greed attached to them, so often they're talking about money, but they're also maligning what you've learned. They're maligning the testimony that has already been presented to you. They've come up with a new way, Okay. <laughs> We don't like that. Okay, who's got First Timothy 6? If anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness, he is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words, which produce envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions, and constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth, imagining that godliness is a means of gain. So back to that greed part of it, but also, what's the fruit that they're producing out of the controversial things that they're saying to you? It's bitterness and envy and division. Is that the fruit of the Spirit? No. No, it's not. All right, who's got Galatians 1? But even if we, or an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel to you than what we have preached to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, 
So now I say again, if anyone preaches any other gospel to you than what you have received, let him be accursed. Ouch. But it's true. False teachers, man, they're, they're fantastic storytellers. They're, I mean, they are a trip to, to watch. Great storytellers. And they've got some whoppers for you, you know. And it's so, so good. They'll think that you'll think that what they're saying is true. They've got a lot of charisma. You know, uh, in the end, though, they preach another gospel, and it leads to death. And it often involves getting into your bank account. <laughs> but look, just, don't just steer clear of them. Don't just change the channel. Kick them out, okay? You got, they got no place with us. You preach another gospel, you don't repent of that, there's the door. Wolves are not going to survive in this place, yeah? We take it seriously when the Lord mandates that we test the Spirit because we love Him and we, we, uh, we want to be true to Him. All right, so let's keep going. First John 4. Verse 2, this is how you can recognize the Spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. That seems overly simple. <laughs> but every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming and even now is already in the world. What's the big deal about believing Jesus came in the flesh? Anybody know? It's very critical and important to understanding the message and the resurrection. I mean, uh, he answered the prophecies. He did the, the miracles. He gave us these messages. I mean, I feel like it's, it's the course. Right. You think people were struggling with this idea, though, back then? It's because there was this heresy called... Docetism. They probably wouldn't call it that. I'm a docetist. Nobody would say that, right? <laughs> but, you know, what, what the idea was, these Gnostics were thinking, well, <clears throat> Jesus is good. He's all good. So he must be all spirit. And so really he came in a ghostly form to us, which means he didn't actually die for us either. He just appeared to die for you and set a wonderful example for you to follow. Jesus Christ came in the flesh. And he died, and he poured out his blood for you and I. And it's really important that we believe that. Now, I've mentioned it once or twice, but in um, many times when you're speaking to Muslims about the faith, they say, like, oh, yeah, Jesus, Jesus is great. But which Jesus are they talking about? You know, you say, did Jesus die on the cross? Well, no, he, he appeared to, though. Like, he, he, he pulled one over on you. But... <laughs> very interesting. So he came in the flesh. So any spirit that we're going to believe needs to say some things. And basically they need, the spirit must confess the biblical Jesus. Do you remember what we talked about um, maybe a couple weeks ago was another thing that the spirit must say? That Jesus is the I heard somebody like faintly whisper, is the Christ. Such a heavy term. He's God. He's king. He's ruler. He's the prophesied Messiah. Right? You have to believe this. But it's not standalone. You can't just, oh, Jesus is Christ. That's not enough, you know? It's Jesus also came in the flesh. He was really here. 
There's some other things, and we've got some blanks uh, we're going to fill in this morning, uh, but I'll leave that up there for now. So, uh, but when I was reading over here, it says this is the spirit of the Antichrist, the one that doesn't acknowledge that Jesus is, came in, has come in the flesh. Okay, so there's that word again, the spirit of the Antichrist, the boogeyman, right? The one that everybody's afraid of and they make Hollywood movies about. Um, you know, we know that is a group of people. Anybody who is denying Christ is an Antichrist. So it's, it's much more offensive in my in, in my thoughts, right, that somebody among us could be an antichrist, right? Or like an entire uh, group of people who believe, like in a certain religion, that it, it doesn't line up to this. They're all antichrists. It's much more offensive than there's a boogeyman somewhere brewing up for us in Russia or, you know, <laughs> something like that. You know what we've heard over the... It, it's, it's really, really, really something. But there's, there's hope for us, because it says here, okay, you've heard that this Antichrist is already in the world, and then here comes the next verse, which you've heard a lot, but maybe not in this context. You, dear children, are from God and have overcome them, because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. Do you realize what he's saying there? It's not just, hey, uh, you're, you know, the Lord is greater than all the evil stuff. He's like... The, the Lord is greater than these antichrists who are set up against you and against the will of God. Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. Now we're going to go back through some repetition. You're like, oh boy, again. <laughs> but uh, 1 John 4, let's go through 5 and 6. They are from the world and therefore speak from the viewpoint of the world. And the world listens to them. We are from God, and whoever knows God listens to us. But whoever is not from God does not listen to us. This is how we recognize the spirit of truth and the spirit of falsehood. So we're going back to uh, the comparison between antichrists and Christians. You guys get that's Christians and antichrists? Okay. So they listen to the world. And conversely, they don't listen to us. Now this us, it could be us, or it could also be John, who's speaking from a we standpoint in this. So we're going to also pop in there the Bible, because what John is really proclaiming is the evidence of eyewitness testimony that we have uh, from from the Bible. All right, and then we, we do listen to God and each other. Uh, we, uh, we listen to the biblical eyewitness testimony. Dear fr- okay, yeah, there we go. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent the one and only Son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. We didn't make this up brothers and sisters. He's the one who loved us first. 
Now, let's look at this uh, here, atoning sacrifice. What does it mean to atone? Well, I'll just break it down for you. There's some really heretical things. I, I went to a church just down the street when I was just kind of looking around, and I was like, oh, I'll go to something familiar. And I went in, and they, they were doing communion. They were like, you've been told so many false things about redemption and the atoning sacrifice. I was like, like, get up and leave, Jace, you know, like, it was just really bad, (laughs) and, uh, but the idea of atoning sacrifice is offensive to some people. To the Gnostics, Jesus was just a great example for you to follow, but for us, he's our very salvation. The Holy Spirit was working today in the sharing time, wasn't he, talking about how this atonement came for us through Christ's blood. That blood is a payment for the punishment, which is the wrath of God due to each of us for our sin. Okay, that's offensive. But we must believe that Jesus atoned for our sin. He took it away by his blood. Let the power of that sit in you. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us. And his love is made complete in us. We know that we live in him and he in us because he's given us of his spirit. We've talked about what is that evidence of his spirit over and over and over. And we have seen and testified that the father has sent his son to be savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the son of God, God lives in him and he in God. And, we know, and so we know and rely on the love that God has for us. What's the source of our love? It's God's love for us. It's not something that you conjure up. It's not something that, you know, if you read enough romantic poetry, it's going to get to you. Sorry, newlyweds. That's not how it works. You've got <laughs> to have the, the love of Christ in you to love like this. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in him. Now, you can get real universalist in that, right? Whoever loves is of God. We've been reading through this for three, four weeks now. You think John's a universalist? No? Calling people antichrist left and right? (laughs) You think he's, he's, you know, yeah, no, no, he's not. In this way, love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. <laughs> Let's just, we could just stop there. Amazing. We can have confidence on the day of judgment because in this world, we are like him. Did you catch that last part? In this world, we are like him. How is that offensive to the crew he's talking to in First John? Anybody remember from last week? the Gnostics believe about becoming like their true self. They think, and they're waiting with bated breath and, you know, thinking they're going to reincarnate forever until they're able to be their best self ever and go to heaven and be with them. But here John is saying something super offensive versus that belief, and he's saying, in this world, you're going to be like him. Maybe you're not going to be perfect, right? But you are going to be transformed into the image of Christ if the Spirit of God lives in you. All right, let's keep going.
There is no fear in love. You got fear in your life, Christian? You fear what's coming in this world or the next? You not confident before God? That's, that's not an inheritance from God. If you, if you live in fear, that is not from God. Because perfect love drives out fear. Because fear has to do with punishment. You're going to be punished, people of God, for your sins. You're going to be punished in the next life. I better hear a no. <laughs> Why? Because Jesus paid it all. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. Might need to repent if you've got a, you got a dose of fear in your life. Do you believe that God has it all under control? Are you okay if he throws some discipline your way, some hardship? Don't fear it. Don't be afraid. Trust that God is good. Trust that he loves you. Look at, and if you doubt it for a minute that God is really caring for you, you just got to look at Jesus, what he did for you on the cross. Is there anything more that he could do for you to prove to you that he loves you and that you don't have anything to be afraid of? Is there anything more? I challenge you on that, if so. All right. If anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother, he's a liar. We love because he first loved us. For anyone who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he's not seen. And he's given us the command, this command, whoever loves God must also love his brother. All right, so you can't be alone in your faith. You do have to love your brothers. You can't just sit at home and watch TV and that be church. Sorry. I repent of that myself. <laughs> so I did that for a time. But we have to love our brothers. It's, it's something we do with our flesh and our blood. All right. So I'm going to erase the board because we're done with John, where's John 4. Woo! And we're getting to start out with something I call the infinity loop. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves his child as well. Just repetition of what we've already been um, hearing in 1 John. This is how we know that we love the children of God, by loving God and carrying out his commands. This is love for God, to obey his commands. (laughs) So, we love God. Well, how do you love God? Well, you're obeying his commands. Okay. Well, how do you obey his commands? You love God. And it just kind of loops over and over into itself. You can't get away from it. You can't compartmentalize it. And that's the thing Gnostics love to do. You could love God without obeying the commands. But for us, that's really, really illogical. And what's, what's it? Poppycock. <laughs> Hashtag poppycock. Um, but... Yeah, it, it's just, it's, it's interesting, right? Because we don't want to get into this mode where we think, okay, I'm not obeying God, so I must not love him sort of thing. It's not like that. The source of our obedience comes from the Holy Spirit. It is not from the works that we, you know, push ourselves to do and all of that. 
So God is going to enable us to love him, and he's going to enable us to obey his commands. So it's not something to be afraid of. It's not something to be look up there and go, oh my goodness, I, that is just not true of me. By the Spirit, it is true of you, that you love God and you obey his commands. All right, so that's the infinity loop. Going on, 1 John 5, 4 through 5. For, let's see, this is love for God to obey his commands, and his commands are not burdensome. Do you feel burdened by his commands? Then you're not getting it, because the source of your love for God is actually just from God himself. All right, this is the, okay. For everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Who is it who overcomes the world? Only he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. This is the one who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. Right. Let's stop right there. Water and blood. Okay. Your, your version might start to say something a little bit different. There's a textual variant in, in this verse, but I'll get into that in just a second. The only other place where blood and water refers to Jesus is in John 19, the same author. All right, so John 19 tells us here in verse 34. So this is Jesus is on the cross. It says, uh, okay, but when they came to Jesus and found that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. Instead, one of the soldiers pierced Jesus' side with a spear, bringing a sudden flow of blood and water. The man who saw it has given testimony, and his testimony is true. He knows that he tells the truth, and he testifies so that you, almost, you also may believe. Why was that such an important thing for John to, to like hammer into this? This guy's telling the truth. This guy's telling the truth. This guy's telling the truth that blood and water came out of Jesus when, when a spear went into him. He actually died. He actually died. That's a... That's, that's huge in this, in, with his audience. He actually died. And I believe it was indicative of the type of death that he died. Because on the cross you die of asphyxiation, which you sort of drown. It's horrible. But there it is. And so then we come over here into 1 John 5. And he's saying that, though, that blood and water testify. Again, he's going back to these docetists and saying, He came in the flesh. You can't deny this. People saw this with their own eyes. I met the guy who did it to him. And you guys want to explain that away as some ghostly imaginational thing? No, the water and the blood testify. But he did not come by water only, but by water and blood. And it is the Spirit who testifies, because the Spirit is the truth. Now we've read... um, that, you know, his word is truth. The main body of the testimony of the Holy Spirit is what we see in the Bible and the eyewitness testimony that is recorded there. For there are three that testify, the Spirit, the water, and the blood, and the three are in agreement. All right, so remember we started off in First John 1 saying evidence is really important to John, right? And testimony, it says in the Jewish law that a matter must be established on the witness of two or three, right? Two or three witnesses. Well, he's got three witnesses here, the water, the blood, and the spirit. 
Now, your version, if it's uh, King James Version or New King James Version in verse 8, might say, um, you know, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's, a, that's something wrong with the text. Somebody translated wrong. Um, if you want to get into it, just talk to me <laughs> later. Because uh, it's, it's pretty spicy, honestly. Um, but the correct uh, version on the Greek is the Spirit, the water, and the blood. All right. We accept man's testimony, but God's testimony is greater because it is the testimony of God which he has given about his son. We talked about even in the first chapter, what is more important? Your personal experience, the testimony of man, or the testimony of God? Is the word of God more powerful or what happened personally to you? Amen. Anyone who believes in the Son of God has this testimony in his heart. But anyone who does not believe God has made him out to be a liar. They're calling God a liar if they don't believe this. Because he has not believed the testimony God has given about his Son. See, if you don't believe the eyewitness testimony in the Bible, you don't believe God. And you're calling him a liar. Strong words. And this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. Very clear, isn't it? Can you kind of be a Christian? Can you believe in God and be holy but not believe in the Son of God? Can you seem that way? Probably. It's seem. But you're not going to bear it out. Like, first, like John is telling us. Uh, can anybody come away from First John thinking this is a universalist book? It's so funny, isn't it? The world, they just love drilling down that one little verse, don't they? God is love, and he is, and it's amazing. But that doesn't mean <laughs> what you think it means. You know, the world just thinks God is nice. Everybody's going to be cool. Everything's going to be fine. But that's not, that's not what John's saying at all. Because if you don't have the Son of God, you do not have life. You don't have eternal life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know you have eternal life. You think they had doubts? And they needed to have those doubts taken away? Maybe so. Because John's purpose here is that he wants you to get it. You have eternal life. Take hold of that confidence, Christian. This is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we asked of him. We talked about that last week. This isn't about selfish desires. It's about, God, equip me to do your will. And he will equip you. He is faithful and just to do that. If anyone sees his brother commit a sin that does not lead to death, oh boy, I have the pleasure of explaining this one. (laughs) Anybody ever got to that verse and go, hmm, there's a sin that doesn't lead to death. All right, well, let's just keep going for the time being. He should pray and God will give him life. I refer to those whose sin does not lead to death. There is a sin that leads to death. I'm not saying that he should pray about that. Woo! I'm just going to keep going. (laughs) Um, 
All wrongdoing is sin, and there is sin that does not lead to death. Come on, John, why do you have to say it three times? (laughs) We know that anyone born of God does not continue to sin. The one who was born of God keeps him safe, and the evil one cannot harm him. We know that we are children of God, and the whole world is under the control of the evil one. All right, let's go back. What is the sin that leads to death? Now, if you can figure that one out, take every preacher's job. <laughs> because no, you know, no one knows that definitively. Um, you know, I, was, uh, I was going, you know, surely Steve knows. You know? And so I was going through his notes from 2015, and it goes, the author admits that we don't really know what this means. <laughs> I was like... Like that, that's, that takes guts. I like that. But I'll say that the context is very key here, okay? So the book of Romans kind of tells us something different, right? The wages of sin is death. So all sin has this element of deadliness to it, right? But if you're forgiven, are you going to have some sort of eternal damnation from your sin? What has the Spirit been saying to us all day long in Romans 7 and 8? In the sharing time, in the singing of uh, songs, Jesus did what? He paid it all. That's not for you. You know, that, you know, the wages of sin is death, but you've been forgiven. You've had that taken away from you. But what about the sin of someone who doesn't believe? I, I mean, that's one explanation, right? That is a sin that kills you. I mean, why pray for someone who's obviously dead? And, you know, we just got through explaining this whole book, who is really dead and who is really alive, who is an antichrist and who is a Christian. So, what do you do with that? Another explanation, it might be, and this is just kind of out there, but, you know, it might be the sin of the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, which we see in Matthew twelve thirty one, where Jesus says, you know, every other sin can be forgiven except blaspheming the Holy Spirit. Now, the context there was that they were calling the Spirit of God the devil. You get that? What do Gnostics call the living God who created the, the earth? They call him evil. That's what, that's what John was dealing with here. And so these people in 1 John, uh, they were definitely dealing with this. There were definitely some people who were guilty of blaspheming the Holy Spirit in that way. So, that's something that we could say about it. Let's go to verse 20. We know also that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know Him who is true and we are in Him who is true. Even In his son, Jesus Christ, he is the true God and eternal life. Hallelujah. And finally, the last verse, which anyone who studied 1 John, you're like, where did this come from? (laughs) Dear children, keep yourself from idols. The end. Like, (laughs) yep, that was a great lesson today. Don't do drugs, kids. I actually think that John did us a great mercy in not naming all the Gnostic gods and, and, and you know, all the filth of that religion and sort of immortalizing it in the scripture. I love that. They're just kind of 
we're getting kind of these echoes of them in, in the scriptures, but we're not going into great detail about what they are. I had to study some of that for y'all. You better thank me. Because <laughs> it's garbage. <laughs> it's awful. <laughs> but here he is. He said, stay away from this stuff. The warning is real. Keep away. Hold true to Christ. All right. So um, let me just open it up for you guys. Um, what's some stuff that you guys have learned as we've been going through First John? What's some stuff that's impacted you? John said anyone who's born of God doesn't keep on sin. And I was reminded of there are some very popular church leaders who pretty well say you can have your sin in Jesus too, meaning you could be born again and it doesn't impact your life in a way that's obvious. And they, they indicate you can take Jesus as Savior, but whether he's actually your Lord or not is optional. Maybe so, maybe not. Maybe now, maybe later. And based on what John's saying, that's, uh, well, that's a, it's just wrong, I tell you. So... I think we just need to be aware of that. I, I hate to say it's a false gospel, but it, but it is right. But it is though, because he's setting us free from sin. No, right. he's not saying, "Oh, go ahead and keep, you know, playing in the mud and the muck." He's setting you free from it. No, all right. So nothing else was learned by from First John. It's <laughs> just how how much things do not change. I mean, the world we're living in today, the world they were living in then. You know, it, 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 it just, it, there's nothing new under the sun, right? It, it, everything that we're experiencing in today's world, they were experiencing. Yes, sir, Chris. Um, just to um, piggyback on the fact that John is not a universalist, something that helped me years ago when I was coming out of some of the stuff, maybe stuff that Steve just talked about, um, for example, in John chapter, 1 John chapter 4, he uses the term us a lot. And you can tell in the very beginning he's talking about us believers. And then he gets into certain verses uh, later in the text. And people, when I used to read the... I'm, used to read the Bible incorrectly and make incorrect applications, I would forget that it's still the same us. So when I was in a group that believed God just loves all of us and God is just love and all of that kind of thing, it was because I forgot who the us was. And so it could, understanding that and keeping the, and understanding the context allowed me to move away from that uh, generalizing these promises of God, but realizing that the us was the same us all the way through. I hope I'm explaining that. Did I put it up there right? Just that our love is focused on the brethren rather than just like a general niceness? Confirming your point about he's not a universalist. Right. Because I would lose the context of who he's talking to and talking about years ago. Or I'd fall into the trap maybe of proof texting without having the context. 
It actually brings up a point that I forgot. So <laughs> hold your thought. But uh, we love with a supernatural love. It's, it isn't nice. Okay, that's not what love is. Right? We're not excusing sin or supporting sin in any way. And you know, we don't have the sick enabling of sin in our life or submission to people who they, you know, want to railroad us and just sin all their life, but we need to support them financially or whatever you know, it might be. It's not, you know, our love doesn't come from some fear of bad karma, so we've got to do some good stuff to outweigh the bad things that we've done. Um, and it's love doesn't come from within ourselves. And we read over and over and over in First John that he first loved us. It is only by the work of the Spirit in us that we have this supernatural love, and it's only because we're in Christ. We love because he first loved us. Yes, sir. Yeah, I think the big thing that stands out to me is that um, obedience is God's love language. And I, like others, have been going through sequentially through the Bible and I made it all the way to Deuteronomy and starting with Joshua. And he extends toward God over and over and over is giving commandments and saying, obey them. Constant. And then he says, also, keep yourself from idols, right? What was the most offensive thing to him? Worshiping other gods and other gods that were not God. So it's God's love language is keeping his commandments and to keep ourselves from idols. It covers a lot of ground if we can do those. Amen. All right, so in summary, this is my take on First John. Uh, I believe this is what's been woven through First John, is that evidence is superior. It's superior to your individual truth, your personal experience, your spiritual experiences that you've had. Evidence is superior. Evidence is the basis of our belief. Okay, That evidence is primarily eyewitness testimony. Where do we get that eyewitness testimony? Right here. The Word of God. The evidence being the basis of our belief, confesses the biblical Christ. Are there other Jesuses out there? Are there other forms of Jesus out there? Everybody wants to put their spin on him, try to fill in the blanks. Stick to the eyewitness testimony. We look at Jesus, the biblical Jesus, who atoned for our sin. He didn't just set up a nice example for you to follow. He paid your debt. He first loved us. We didn't come up with this. He's the one who came to us. He is the keeper of eternal life. There's no one else you can go to for it. It is Jesus alone. He is the Christ, the promised Messiah, the ruler, the king. He came in the flesh. He's the son of God. He's born of God. So evidence is the basis of our belief, but John is also telling us the whole way through, evidence is the proof of our belief. It's the proof of our faith. It's the proof of our salvation. Uh, one easy thing is the world hates us. That's an interesting thing. Now, you might just be mean. That might be why the world doesn't like you. No, but, <laughs> but one of the evidences is the world just doesn't get you. Okay, You're weird to them. You're an oddball. Another one is we're confessing the biblical Christ. That's an evidence of your faith. But John just hammers it home time and time and time again. You have a supernatural love inside of you, a love for one another. You've got a supernatural ability to obey God. 
that the world does not have. You have a supernatural power to overcome sin and the evil one, all by the work of His Spirit in you. So, thank you guys for your patience. Thank you for your participation. You. We praise God for this book. We thank Him for it. So, uh, Lord, we praise you so much for clarifying in a world full of confusion who you are and what is the evidence that we should believe. I thank you that you didn't leave us on our own to come up with new ideas and ways to approach you. And No, you gave us clear, clear eyewitness testimony. You gave us your commands. You empowered us to obey those through your spirit. Thank you, Lord. But mainly we thank you that you took away our sin. You atoned for our sin. You took away the wrath that was due us. So we praise you, Jesus, for who you are. In Jesus' name. This message was produced by the New Testament Reformation Fellowship, reforming today's church with New Testament church practices. Permission is hereby granted for you to reproduce this message. You can find us on the web at www.ntrf.org. May God bless you as you seek to follow Him in complete obedience to His Word. May your faith in the Lord Jesus be strengthened and your daily walk with Him deepened.